Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of the Bridging Impact Podcast, the podcast that is passing wisdom to the next generation of athletes, coaches, and parents to transform leaders on and off the court. And in today's episode, we have an unbelievably inspiring, educational, and wisdom-packed episode for you today. We get the opportunity and privilege to interview founder of Hoop Commitment, Strength and Conditioning Coach at Gonzaga University, Mike Nielsen. In this conversation today, we talk a lot about strength and conditioning for basketball players, high school basketball players, also the importance of nutrition, and you got to wait till the end to hear the stories from John Stockton and his leadership. So without further ado, let's dive in. Hello and welcome to the Bridging Impact Podcast, Mike. I'm thrilled to have you on. Love the background, Gonzaga performance training. So I'm excited to have our conversation about hoop commitment and also strength and conditioning and wherever we end up going today. So welcome to the show. Uh, thanks for having me. I always love to talk about hoops, nutrition, strength, conditioning. I'm in for all of it. Let's do it. All right. So we'll start right there because we always start with just super softball, easy question of how has the game of basketball made an impact on your life? It's been a, a huge part of my life. I mean, the number one has always been family, but I think right behind that is just uh, basketball has followed me every step of the way since uh, before I can remember I was, you know, playing hoops in the driveway with my cousin Blue, my parents, all the neighborhood kids. And uh, the very first day of school, I met a kid named Josh Stewart. He uh, lived a couple blocks away. We rode the, the bus to school together that day. He was in my kindergarten class. And his dad was a high school basketball coach. And my parents were not athletes uh, growing up. And so, you know, I really hadn't been introduced to any sports uh, uh, formally, you know, just playing in the front yard. And so when I met Josh, his dad said, hey, why don't you sign up for YMCA basketball, I'll be your coach. And so from that day on, Josh and I were like two peas in a pod. And I had a high school coach helping me out and he had played us a grade up. So when I was in kindergarten, I was playing first grade Y. When I was in fifth grade, I was playing sixth grade Y. And I didn't know I was good at basketball until um, maybe around fifth or sixth grade. I was playing at recess with kids my own age, and it was so easy. And I'm like, wow, I'm, I'm pretty good at this. And I think from there, it just really took off. But, yeah, from as far as back as I can remember, um, you know, I just love hoops, love playing. I love Michael Jordan. And so that kind of dominated most of my thoughts and most of my clothing budget. Uh, most of our grocery budget was spent on Wheaties. Because, you know, I, I just couldn't eat it fast enough to get the next poster, or have a chance to win the basketball. Uh, so it's just been a, a huge part all the way. And then now as a parent, uh, it's fun to see my kids loving hoops. And so I get to experience it through their eyes, which has just been a blessing. That's really cool. And I think one of the things I'm, I'm kind of interested in is, you know, obviously we're both in the basketball industry, so we watch a lot of athletes and you're, you're in the college, you know, space. So you, we watch a lot of athletes, they reclass, right? They're classing down. Um, and I'm curious how that experience of you playing up, you know, starting from kindergarten up to fifth grade to whichever level actually really helped you maybe understand the game of basketball, stretch yourself and help you learn a little bit more about the game when you're kind of stretching yourself beyond maybe playing athletes your own age when you're younger. Yeah, it's been fun being here at GU for the last 20 years. I've always known my own experience, but now through uh, being a coach on the men's and the women's side, I get to hear all their stories and find out which ones have reclassed or which one has transferred, which ones didn't start playing basketball at age 15. I'm like, you didn't pick up a basketball till you were 15. Yeah. Um, and you just find out there are so many different ways to uh, get to the destination. And so I think that's been really nice because I think with each one of my kids, you find out they're probably going to take their own path. But with that being said, I really love the idea of the struggle. You know, to me, it's a biological truth that the only way to get stronger in the weight room is to face resistance. And it has to be the right amount of resistance. If it's not enough resistance, you get weak and brittle. If it's too much resistance, you know, you, um, you really have the chance to get injured or and, and setting you back. And so I think the right amount of resistance. And so I, I think with my kids, um, I love the idea of having them have to chase a little bit. You know, my son Carter is 15 years old and he really got into weights this past year. And I purposefully didn't want to push that on him early because I want him to be a little physically underdeveloped when he's younger so he can develop other things, different skill sets, mindset, um, you know, learn what it feels like to get pushed around a little bit and have to be able to find different ways to be successful. And I think once you add some of the maturity, the strength, 
all the stuff that happens when you hit the weight room on top of it, I think he's going to be that much of a bigger player. So um, it's hard as a parent. You always want your kids to be successful, but I always have to remind myself that success uh, looks a lot differently in the moment. You know, I think about all the things that have helped me get to the point where I'm at today. Um, sometimes that was not the glorious thing. You know, it was it was the upsets and it was the failures that really help you um, get stronger. So all those kids that are reclassing, it might be the best route for them. I just think from for my kids, I'd rather have them um, not be the biggest, fastest, strongest. I want them to be the ones chasing people. Interesting. So can you expand a little bit more on that? Because I know that, you know, for me, like I know the weight room has been a big help for myself, just like in general, when I even now when I play basketball, when I just play pickup, but even in high school, right, when I play basketball and baseball, it was, you know, a big, you know, obviously being stronger and faster is always going to help you play whichever sport you you're playing and obviously there's some sports specific you know techniques in terms of how you're lifting and training but you kind of have your your kind of thoughts are maybe a little bit different with a younger 15 year old can you expand on that because i actually coach ninth and 10th graders as well so i'd love to kind of learn more about that yeah i just seen you know coaching my son when he was younger um you you see these kids that are in kindergarten first second third grade whatever it is and they're so advanced and they make you feel a little insecure you know, yeah. as a parent, it's um, it's funny how you try not to live through your kids. You try not to be so competitive. And, and I think I do a pretty good job of allowing my wife to self-check me a little bit. She's always kind of keep my head in the right spot. Um, but, yeah, you look out there and this kid is just rebounding over your son and he's got a left hand and a fadeaway. And you're like, this kid is the next LeBron James. Um, but now having the the benefit of kind of seeing where that second grader is now when he's in high school and you realize that sometimes, and once again, there's many different paths. It's not the same for everyone, but I think more often than not, the kid that is more developed younger struggles when they're older. And this actually happened on my team, uh, my, my son's team. He was, uh, they were in third grade and it was the third grade YMCA championship game. I mean, this is pretty important, right? Third grade right, YMCA. And we had, uh, we had the best kid in the city on my team. It was my friend's son, and he just was a stud. And we had the worst kid on the team, barely played in the championship game in third grade, and you know, he was a little down. And it seems a little crazy to say that a third grader is not playing very much, but it was the way it worked. And so uh, I just remember that because the parents, we, we won the championship, but the parents were not that happy. They kind of wanted little Johnny to play more. But you fast forward however many years, nine years, and now I'm watching those two kids are on two different high school teams. And the kid that did barely played in third grade was starting varsity as a sophomore. The very best kid in the whole city didn't play at all. Didn't, didn't even touch the floor. He just rode, uh, rode the bench. And I thought, you know, there's just not a whole lot of correlation between who the biggest, baddest player is in kindergarten versus in high school or even college. And so I think with that, just the idea of the bigger, faster stronger you are when you're younger the less skills you have to use you know if you're the tallest kid on the court you don't have to have dribbling skills or passing skills you just hold the ball up tall and when you find success yeah. there it takes a really disciplined kid to be able to do the work and still work their ball handling you know if you're the biggest fastest strongest kid you can just plow through kids for a layup it takes a lot of self-discipline to not do that and instead go around kids or do step backs and work your game and so um yeah, I think that idea of being able to teach all of those other things, because skill is really the king in basketball. It's not a sport where, hey, man, the biggest, fastest, strongest win. Um, you look at a guy like Steph Curry, and you can't stop him if you can't catch him. And right. I think with his all his soft skills that – I know, don't get me wrong, he's a great athlete too. He, right. He's strong and can do all those things. But um, they're really neutralizers when you have those skills. And so I think for my 15-year-old son, I like that he was gangly and looked like a baby deer when he was walking because he has to find all these other ways to solve the problem. And I'm a strength conditioning coach, so don't get me wrong. We had a family nutrition talk last night because we just finished our travel season. We've been in Vegas, South Carolina, Atlanta, Phoenix, New York. We've been everywhere. And when you do that, you eat out a ton. And so right. last night we just finally got home and we're like, hey, let's reset on the nutrition piece. And so 
my little 15 year old son, we put together a little plan for him for him to have breakfast, lunch, dinner, two snacks throughout the day. Because I'm telling him, if you're going to be lifting, you know, you don't get stronger in the weight room, you get weaker. You get stronger when you sleep well and you eat well. And so don't get me wrong, we're going to really focus on his physical attributes, you know, his power, agility, reaction, quickness, strength, all of that stuff we're focusing on now. Um, and I think that's an appropriate time as he gets to be 15, 16, 17, 18. And there's nothing wrong. There's great research that shows that, man, when you're younger, strength training is great for injury prevention and bone density and coordination. I, I think all of those things are good. Uh, I think sometimes it could be at the detriment maybe to skill development when you're younger. Absolutely. So I have a couple of follow-up questions. And with that, I want to start with a skill development piece and having it come from, you know, the scientific background when we, when it comes to skill development and, you know, as a, you know, a trainer myself, what are some things that not necessarily that I need to be doing? Cause every athlete has a different journey, but what are some important teaching and instruction points to make sure that I am helping them develop in the most effective way possible, developing skills versus, you know, I feel like one of the things that I've recognized in my own, you know, brief training journey is I don't want to just train them like I trained when I was in high school, right? Like I've learned a lot of different ways that are just better than more effective, but I'm just curious to learn if like you have any more tidbits of information on, on skill development for basketball players specifically. Well, we should flip around. I'll interview you on this one because you're definitely the expert. You're going to be smarter than me on this one. I, I think I'm a, a good strength coach. I've been doing strength conditioning, you know, at a high level for 20 years. Um, you know, movement science, chain reaction biomechanics. Those are the things that I really love. As far as skill training, uh, with my kids, I've done a lot of the stuff that I just think is fundamental. And so I have a little fifth grade son. And we want to make sure he can do a right hand layup and a left hand layup. And he can go overhand and underhand. And now we're going right hand finishes on the left side and left hand finishes on the right side. And we make sure that he can do a one, two with left, right or right, left or two foot jump stop and up and unders. And so I am doing what you probably consider a lot of old school training because I never shot a floater a day in my life. That, that was, <laughs> In the 90s, floaters were not really a thing. There was no Euro step in the 90s. And so a lot of those things, I'm actually not really even fit to teach my kids how to do. What's kind of cool is um, sometimes it's even better because they learn from watching other people do it and they figure it out. I just finished rereading the book, The Inner Game of Tennis. And yeah, that's uh, a good one. You know, I read it years ago and it totally influenced the way that I taught and thought and coached. And then you fast forward 10, 15, 20 years and you forget about it. One of my athletes just said, hey, I'm reading this great book. And I'm like, I got to read that again. And yeah. so I just finished rereading it. And you just realize that sometimes I think I'm really helping and I'm hurting because I'm coaching too much and I'm coaching self one instead of letting their self two, their body, the wisdom, infinite wisdom figure it out. So uh, when it comes to skill training, that's what I do with my kids, which is some of the fundamentals, can they do the footwork? You know, can they do a two foot jump stop and step with the left and the right? Can they jump off the left and the right hand um, or right foot when they're doing a left or right hand layup? And then being here at Gonzaga, I'm a little bit spoiled because we have great skill trainers, grad assistants um, that actually work with my son that I hire them to be able to teach them some of the stuff that I don't know how to do. Um, yeah. So I would say once again, I think, uh, so thankful that you're interviewing me, but I think you're definitely the expert on the skill training piece. Well, let's go into your expertise with the strength and conditioning and nutrition. And so, like I said, like I have a lot of athletes, I coach, I'm a high school basketball coach assistant for varsity, and then I'm the head for frost soft. So I kind of have that mix of the freshmen through seniors, right? And so each level needs, you know, obviously a different plan and each athlete needs a different plan. But if I'm going to think about starting principles for my younger athletes, what are some good, you know, just sound principles for strength, conditioning and nutrition to start with? Well, you know, when I think about nutrition, if we start there, I love to do everything in threes. And so one of my guiding principles is that three is the most powerful number on planet Earth. It's to me, it's like the simplest form of complexity. And so we think about every color that we see in nature is made of just three colors, three primary, red, yellow, blue. And it's amazing as I look out the window here, every color that you see in nature is just made from those three. And so if you were to ask me, hey, tell me about colors, and I didn't start with the primary colors, I probably don't have a, a firm enough understanding of it. 
And when you go into movement, which is amazing, every movement that your athletes will make in the weight room or on the basketball court is made of just three planes of motion, the sagittal, the frontal, and the transverse. So every jump stop, layup, pivot, everything only happens in those three planes. And if you look at every joint in the body, the ankle, the knee, the hip, the shoulder, every major joint functions in all three planes. So if that's true, and muscles that cross that joint, that must mean that every muscle has to function in all three planes of motion. And it's easy to see on the basketball court, if you want to be a successful basketball player, you need more than just running in a straight line. You know, we shuffle laterally in the frontal plane. And what's even more important is that transverse plane. I don't need a whole lot of core strength when I'm flexing or, or doing a crunch. I need core strength in the basketball court with rotation. And so if you think about sports performance in the basketball world happening in the frontal and the transverse plane, and then I think about my main job as a strength conditioning coach, which is to keep them on the court. Before I can make them more powerful, more agile, I have to keep them healthy because nothing can uh, hurt a season faster than a torn ACL or a sprained ankle, some kind of injury. And if you look at those injuries, I don't know anyone that's ever sprained their ankle in the sagittal plane. Everyone sprains it in the frontal plane. You think about ACL tears. I've never known anyone that's torn an ACL in the sagittal plane. It's always been in the transverse plane. And so if injuries are happening in the frontal and the transverse plane, and high-level basketball performance is happening in the frontal and the transverse plane, then we should be doing that in the weight room. We have to think about how do we train our athletes to be able to move, be powerful, have agility, coordination, in all three planes of motion. So to me, that is a foundational principle is how do we train all of those movement qualities. And so that's kind of at the foundation of what I do. I, I have a little three-part progression that I do. It's called drive, defend, and dominate. And, uh, you know, kind of a playoff words I think about in basketball. If I want to help someone become a better basketball player, the first thing I think about is how do I make them more explosive or more uh, effective on offense? How can I get them driving to the hole better? And, um, you know, and the second thing I think about is if they're good on offense, well, they also have to be good on defense. How, how can they defend in the frontal plane? And the last one is, and then in transition and open court, how do you dominate your space? So I have a little drive, defend, dominate. And it's just like a, a, a map. It's a progression. Uh, when an athlete comes in, the first thing I want to think about is, you know, when you think about drive, there's a lot of different plays on words there. The first one is what's their internal drive? What, what drives them? What's their focus? What's motivating them? Why are they coming to see me? Um, whether I'm in the private sector, I'm a small business owner, I'm a, a physical therapy clinic, athletes will come in and there's a reason. What's their passion? What's their motivation? Do they want to jump higher? Do they want to put on 10 pounds of muscle? Do they want to be able to move better? And because all of those training programs uh, are going to be designed differently based off of what your goals are. And I always tell people, you know, my, my website and, and podcast is called Hoop Commitment. And I always tell people, if you're not committed, I can't help you. But if you are committed, I can't stop you. You know, commitment is the key to all of it because I can come in and I can have the best program design on earth. If you're not bought into it, if you're not committed, you're not going to see the results. And so I think that drive is the foundation of all of it. And, uh, and the other thing where drive is kind of a play on words is we want to be able to drive into basketball-specific transformational zones. And so can you drive your hips into enough hip flexion or ankle dorsiflexion or knee flexion or spine, whatever that is, to be able to get into a deep lunge or a deep squat? And so I want to think about that range of motion or that mobility. Can they drive into those basketball uh, positions? And if they can, then they get to move to level two, which is defend. And that's the idea of being able to have the strength to be able to hold or defend those positions. And so once I can create the mobility and drive into those positions, now can I defend it and have the strength to be able to stay in a deep stance or be able to push or pull? And then, of course, at the top of it, the highest form of basketball strength condition is dominate your space. And so... Yeah, you have the mobility, you have the strength, but we know strength is only takes you so far in the game of basketball. Can you dominate your space by being quicker, more reactive, better balance, whatever those things are? So that's kind of my thought process when it comes to basketball is how do I train the threes? And um, I've kind of done the same thing for nutrition and leadership. And it's not a perfect system, but I think for me, it's really nice when I go on social media or when I talk to other strength coaches that have brilliant ideas. Um, a lot of times I feel insecure because I'm like, I'm not doing that. And I didn't know where it fit. 
But I think when you have a system and you can put it in threes, there's always a bucket for me to throw my new information into. There's a lot of great wisdom right there. And the, you know, coach in me is just so curious with, you know, you're talking about the three different types and planes of movements. And I really love, I think I reached out to you because of hoop commitment. And I love your, your statement of if you're not committed, I can't help you. But if you are committed, I can't stop you. Like that's something that really resonates with me. Like it's part of BTG, BTG basketball. That's one of our values. Core values is commitment because um, if you, want to become a better basketball player really if you want to become a better leader right you have to be committed it's a it's a daily process a daily deposit and so with you know kind of hoop commitment and when it comes to you know groups of threes um just thinking into terms of the you know drive defend dominate for basketball players what does uh average week look like you know for let's say high school basketball it's going to look obviously different at the collegiate level um is it two times a week in the weight room three times is it plyometrics you know obviously of course it's going to depend on you know the the player but i'm sure there's some principles that you kind of follow when you work with athletes well I mean, we were tight before, but now we're really tight knowing that commitment is one of your core values because uh, to me, that's when I learned the difference between a goal and a commitment, my whole life changed. And someone told me that a goal is something that you want to do, but a commitment is something that you have to do. And when you can change I want to into I have to, your whole life changes. And I just love that idea of saying, yeah, man, I want to work out today versus I have to. Not like, oh, I have to, this sucks. But like, this is so important. There's no way I'm going to let myself or my teammates down. And I just think that's just um, probably today more than ever such an important lesson to teach kids is how to really commit to something and not try, not a goal. Goals are great. You, you all have to have this big goal of what you want to do. I want to play varsity. I want to play division one. I, I want to be all league. All of those things, those goals are so important. Um, but when the days where you're sick or tired or unmotivated, that commitment of what you committed to do today, and not that I want to. I don't. Of course, I don't want to. Of course, I don't want to run today. I got a little cold. My knee hurts. It's snowing outside. I don't want to run, but I have to. And uh, and so I've been doing a daily commitment for the last eight years, and it's totally changed my life because my kids have got to see me do it. And all three of my kids are doing a summer commitment, which I'll have to tell you about later, which is just super fun. Um, but I just think that's such an important lesson that you're teaching your athletes, which I think is phenomenal. And, but to go back to answer your question about what does strength conditioning like? Yeah, I think good rule of thumb is always going to be it depends. But I'll give you something that the listeners can take home. And, and uh, I always like to say when I'm doing with my own son, because I think there's theory, which is really good. Um, and then there's what you might do with yourself, which is even better. But the true test is what you do with your son or your daughter, because, you know, I might say, hey, here's a theory. This is how you should eat. You know, every nutritionist on the planet will tell you how you should eat. But then look how they eat. And then it's a little different story. But the bottom line is what they do with their kids. is really a combination of what's realistic, um, what the average person can do. And then also what you think is really important. Um, there's certain areas where I don't care enough about myself maybe to do this extra little work. And so maybe I'm like, Hey, you know, an example would be is if you're a smoker, you would say son or daughter, do not smoke is bad for you, but they'll smoke, you know? So you don't really want to listen. So, um, you know, on the nutrition piece to someone, what they would do, but what are they actually doing with their kids? And so with my son Carter, what we're doing is in the off season, he lists four times a week. Um, as he gets closer to season, then the skills become more and more important. Uh, once practice starts, we go three days a week. Once game starts, he goes twice a week. And so to me, I think that's a really nice progression. There are a lot of people that think microdosing is a great way to go, and I, I like that. Um, unfortunately, I've never been able to put it in practice here at Gonzaga. You know, we have big-time resources here at Gonzaga because we have a great basketball program, so we have an awesome weight room. But our university is smaller, so we don't have all the class options. And so we have a lot of, uh, of our athletes that will come straight from practice right to class or right after, class, right after practice go straight to class. And so we're kind of landlocked between classes, which means I don't have the benefit of always saying, hey, come to the weight room 30 or 45 minutes before practice with the whole team so we can get a lift in. 
So instead, what we end up doing is lifting in small groups early in the morning or after practice. We get it in based off their class schedule, and then they travel. They leave every Wednesday, or every other Wednesday. So that which means we only can lift Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday morning, and then they leave on a trip. So uh, that's a long way of saying I I really love the idea of in the off season building the physical capacities, uh, athletic um, abilities are really important. So we do that in the off season. And then as we get closer to the main event, we spend less time in the weight room and we save that extra energy for skill training. And then this kind of stuff that we would do is in the off season, we do uh, just major core lifts, especially for our younger athletes. I think a bench, squat, clean, all of those compound movements um, are great at stressing the overall system and building just overall athleticism. With that being said, if I'm going to bench, I'm going to make sure that I don't just bench one way. I can tweak the bench with dumbbells in the sagittal plane. With a barbell, I can tweak it in the frontal plane, or I can even tweak it in the transverse plane. Uh, same thing with squats. You know, it's really cool. There's 27 different ways that you can squat. And I think on the basketball court, all 27 ways you're going to see people use them. So this is kind of fun. I don't know if people are going to be watching or listening, so I'll try and pretend like they're just listening. But if you think about your feet in a neutral position, if you're squatting, we'll call that XXX because X stands for neutral. In the sagittal plane, we're neutral. In the frontal plane, we're neutral X. In the transverse plane, so XXX. Now I can do an RXX, which means I'm going to take my right foot in the sagittal plane and move it forward. And we call that triple threat in the game of basketball. So an RXX squat means I'm right in the sagittal plane and I'm neutral in the frontal and transverse. Or I go LXX. Both of those are super important to be able to squat as a basketball player. It's also important I can go XNX, which would be neutral in the sagittal plane but narrow in the frontal plane. Or XWX is really important for basketball players to be able to squat in the X. WX because that's a wide position. Or you can tweak it in the transverse plane. I could be XXI uh, for internal rotation, which most basketball players, including myself, can't do very well. Or you can go XXE, which is external rotation, where most people are really successful. So I think a really good squatting position for basketball players would be R, so right foot forward in the sagittal plane, W, a little Y, and E. R-W-E is right foot forward, wide, and externally rotated, or L-W-E. So any combination of there's 27, 27 different ways. So we'll do 27 squats to warm up for our squats. And what you'll find is some of the athletes in those positions, and when I say 27 squats, it literally takes one minute. You know, if it takes, uh, you know, two seconds to do a squat, 27 different ways, that's a nice little warm up. But what you find is, now their hips, their knees, their ankle, even their spine gets to uh, wake up all those proprioceptors to be able to prepare them. So now when you go back to XXX and neutral, your body's going to be more effective and more efficient. It's the same thing with push-ups, which is cool. There's 27 different ways to push-up. So if you work, work out with your high school players, you're going to say, do a push-up, and they're all going to do a great push-up. Now you're going to say, go X and X, and half of the people won't be able to do it. The other half are like, that's even easier for me. Now go X, W, X. And the people that love doing the narrow push-ups might not be able to do a push-up. Why? And so it's really interesting. Can you do an R, W, E push-up? Can I go L, N, I push-up? Whatever that is. And you'll start to see how not only are you creating more functional strength. So now instead of just being strong in one position, I'm strong all the different positions. The cool thing is this great injury reduction tool. Uh, the guy that taught me this is a guy named Gary Gray. He's the worldwide leader in functional movement. And he worked with our Navy SEALs. And he said the kind of the joke about Navy SEALs is, is um, you know how long someone's been a Navy SEAL by how many shoulder surgeries they've had because of how many push-ups they have to do. You know, drop and give me 20 is like you're doing that 10 times before breakfast. But the problem is they're always pushing up in the exact same plane of motion. And we know that creates overuse. It creates irritation. And so when he worked with our Navy SEALs, I don't know if it was 10 plus years ago, he taught them how to push up in 27 different positions. It's more functional for them. It's life or death. If they have to get up, but they're stronger this way, and so it takes them one more second to change their hands, they're not going to be as effective. But the biggest thing it's doing is keeping those shoulders healthy. Because instead of just having that one stress happen in one spot, you're sharing that load over the whole body which uh, 
yeah, reduces the chance of injury. Man, that was a long answer to your question. I love it though, because I'm kind of like nerding out over what you're saying right now. I'm like imagining how I can incorporate this in warmups just because, you know, and as I hear you talking and showing with the hands, and I know for some, some of people will be watching on YouTube, but most will be listening on audio. So it's kind of interesting to have, you know, the different, you know, foot structures, placements, and, and I'm thinking in my head, I'm like, yeah, like in basketball, obviously I'm jab stepping with my right foot forward, right? I'm a righty. So it makes sense to be able to squat down and do that. And obviously your range of motion is going to increase when you're working different planes, right? And so a lot of these things are, are pretty new to me. And so I really find that to be fascinating. And I love kind of learning about, you know, different little nuances that I can, you know, bring to the athletes. And so I know a, a big thing is, right, well, I want to kind of go back to the commitment side of things in, in the weight room, right? You talked about the commitment. Can you talk about, you know, a little bit more? I know you briefly touched on it, but just why you started Hoop Commitment and, and what really your mission is and, and who you serve with it, because I'd love to learn some more about that. Yeah, the reason I really started the website and the podcast, um, you know, being a strength coach here at GU, we have our summer camps and it's so fun. We have, I don't know if it's the largest on the West Coast, but it's one of the largest camps. We have hundreds of high school teams that come by and I love to be able to go and volunteer my time and to talk about something. So, you know, one year I might talk about nutrition with the athletes or I might talk about, you know, a, a warm up progression or injury prevention or how to increase your vertical, but I always give some kind of um, lesson for the, the athletes that they could take away and be able to get better at, uh, you know, so next year when they come and see me that they've made some improvement. And for those coaches that come every year, they always, it's not the same talk, um, but it's inevitable. If I show someone a lunge matrix, here's how you lunge in the satchel plane, funnel plane, transverse plane. Matter of fact, it just happened this year, which is I did, uh, I gave, showed everyone my favorite warm-up exercise if you're going to do one exercise before every game during camp this literally takes two minutes it will turn on every muscle in your whole body and get you ready to play and so I show them these three movements and then of course I have probably three or four coaches that email me after hey can you help me out with that or how would that work in the program design and it's just not reasonable for me to be able to videotape stuff, to be able to answer every single coach. Sometimes I'm not even allowed to because of NC2A rules, depending on the time of year. And so what I wanted to be able to do is, instead of giving these one-off answers to one coach throughout the whole year, to be able to have one hub and say, here's my training philosophy. Uh, the other thing is, you know, as we talk about organizing thing in threes, you know, it's one thing to maybe have it up here in your head and have a philosophy. It's another thing to put it down on paper and to be able to explain it and teach it. And so for me, being able to create the hoop commitment and be able to have the three levels of basketball leadership, the three levels of basketball nutrition, those things were such um, just a mental gymnastics and like, okay, man, how do I take all the stuff that I really know to be true, but really make it into a story and understandable and make sure that I'm really covering the whole person and not just focusing too much on one aspect. So that's why I started it. I really did not want to be a podcast host at all. It was you know, just something that seemed like it was too techy for me. Um, I just, I'm not very good in that space, but I studied a guy named uh, Pat Flynn one year and he teaches you how to create online businesses. He has a phenomenal podcast. And so I thought, well, for that year, I'm going to do everything he tells me to do. And so, I started a podcast and I was really nervous to reach out to people and interview them. Yeah. And, uh, but I'm like, well, this is what I'm going to do. And this is a good benefit to, you know, local high school coaches, families that are interested, high school players that want to be able to make the next level. And what I thought I was doing for other people, uh, has turned out to be the biggest blessing in my continuing education, you know, to be able to reach out to other strength conditioning coaches at the college and the NBA level and to reach out to nutritionists all across the world and be able to have them for 30 minutes to an hour and be able to ask them the specific questions I have. Okay, like this is a book I just finishing right now. And it's called Takeoff. And so I love it. I'm reading it. I think it's really good. But there's always a couple gaps of like, how would I apply this to this athlete? Or how would I do that in the middle of the season? He talks about off season, whatever that is. And so now I'm going to call up Daniel and say, hey, let me get you on my podcast. 
And then every one of those questions I could ask. And so now I'm not just, you know, gaining a friend, but I'm gaining knowledge. And so that's what really kind of got me going on the hoop commitment um, and building the platform. And as I mentioned, why did I call it hoop commitment is because it's just been so powerful. I started this eight years ago, which was um, having a calendar on my wall and committing to do something every single day. I heard the story about Jerry Seinfeld, and he believes the key to his success is he writes one joke a day. And he has a calendar on his wall. And every day that he writes a joke, he earns the right to put an X. So after a week, he has seven X's and he calls it a chain of success. After a month, this whole calendar is filled with X's. And I'm reading this and I'm like, this is so simple and so brilliant. Because for a comedian, if you have 365 jokes in a year, I mean, you're going to have a successful career. A career and I think about he's been doing this for 30 plus years. I mean, that's, that's amazing thousands and thousands of jokes um you can't do that in one day it's impossible um but you know like the idea of most people overestimate what they can do in a day and totally underestimate what they can do in a year so i, I read this story and i'm like that's it i'm gonna make a commitment not because i want to but because i have to and so what i've done is i find one area that i'm really interested in and then I find the one person that I really feel is like the, the world's leading expert in there that I would agree with their philosophy. And I commit to studying them for 15 minutes a day. And so I really am interested in nutrition. And I thought, well, who's the best nutritionist I know? And I came across Dr. John Berardi. He started Precision Nutrition, which is the world's largest online nutritional, um, educational and, and uh, certification place. And so what I do is I just commit, okay, every day I'm going to study Dr. Berardi. I'm going to read all his books. I'm going to read his articles. I'm going to do all his certifications. And, you know, on a bad day when I'm sick, tired, or unmotivated, I know I do 15 minutes. But on a good day, shoot, I might do two, three, five hours, you know, if I'm really motivated. And what's really fun is I start the year with a, you know, below average, uh, you know, uh, level of knowledge and nutrition. And after a couple of months, I'm a level one precision nutri nutrition certified coach. And then I do the year-long mentorship program. I take their how to coach uh, uh, plant-based diets, how to coach athletes. I do all their certifications. I call up precision nutrition people and interview them, have them on my podcast. And now you finish the year and you're like, now I'm one of the smartest people in nutrition in Spokane. And just from a simple commitment. And so I've done it with nutrition. I've done it with movement science and Gary Gray. I studied him from a year and did all, all his certifications and his year-long mentorship program. I've done it in fun stuff. Like uh, last year, I love guitar. And, uh, and so I thought, well, who's the best guitarist that I'd really want to study for a year? And it was John Mayer. And so I buy a couple of different John Mayer guitars. So I have the same feel he has. Um, I take guitar lessons. Um, I learned all his songs. We traveled down to LA to see him in the forum. We watched him play with Dead and Company. And after the course of a year, I'm a pretty dang good guitar player, which is really fun. And so I just seen how it impacted my life. And then now seeing how it impacts my kid's life is just unbelievable. My little 10 year old, we're doing a summer commitment. And so I told the kids from the first day of summer to the last day of summer, you get to pick what you're going to do. But if you can do it for at least five minutes a day. Now, our goal is 15 minutes or 30 minutes or now. But even if you're sick, tired, or unmotivated, you have to do five minutes. And so they each pick what they wanted to do. My daughter's a dancer, so she wants to do some mobility stretching thing. She, she wants to get some kind of split move that uh, she's not able to do. My son Carter, taking voice lessons, he wants to become a better singer. And my 10-year-old son Memphis is uh, doing guitar. And it's amazing. Now we're towards the end of the summer and he already can play and sing three songs. So he's playing little Beyonce's Halo and singing and playing on guitar. It's just so awesome because you can't do that in one day, no matter how hard you work. Matter of fact, it's detrimental. We talk about resistance or stress. You play guitar too much your first day, your fingers are going to bleed and cut up and you won't be able to play guitar for a long time. But five minutes a day, anyone can do that. And so, yeah, it's just so fun. Now my little 10-year-old can play guitar. And my little daughter can do the little stretch move that she wanted to do. Um, and so it's just such a great life lesson that um, you can't teach with words. You can't give it to them. They have to earn it themselves. And so now they know, man, I can do anything I want to do. I want to be a doctor. I want to be a lawyer. I want to be able to dunk. I want to be able to play guitar. I want to be able to dance. Anything you want to do, you just have to make a commitment and, uh, and you'll get there.
Well, I'm going to steal that from you because that's really powerful. And I'm like getting goosebumps because I'm thinking about just, I, I have a very similar experience to you with the podcast in terms of like, this is continued education for me, right? Like I'm learning a lot about strength and conditioning, nutrition and commitment, right? And I get to interview a ton of great, you know, minds like yourself, you know, weekly where I'm just, I'm learning and I'm able to pass that on to the athletes and I don't even necessarily, I mean, I guess that I pay for it with my time and my, I, I bought this a couple of years ago, this microphone and, um, you know, pay for the software, but it's a little bit cheaper than grad school. So yeah. I think it's really powerful, um, in terms of like what we can learn and what we can achieve over time with the compounding, you know, knowledge. And, you know, I would love, you know, as we're in the fourth quarter of our podcast, last couple of minutes to just kind of dive in. And I'd love to learn a little bit more about your leadership principles and kind of what's going on up in your mind and what you love to teach. You know, I remember reading the John Stockton article and I was like, I got to get this guy on. I talk about this, you know, similar stories like this with my athletes all the time. And it's really cool. It sounds like, you know, he's He's a table setter, not only like when he plays professional basketball, but when he plays pickup basketball with, I'm sure, guys that are just not on his skill level, but he's still facilitating. And I think there's so much wisdom into that. So I'd love to know a little bit more about your leadership principles. Yeah, to me, I think leadership is the most important skill in all of sports. And I think it's even more important than shooting and passing because without leadership, your whole team falls apart. And with leadership, your pastors become better pastors. Your scores become better scores. I think it enhances all the skills that you have. And then the biggest thing is leadership is the only skill that's really going to be impactful to your life after your playing days are over. And so to me, I think that's why I'm really excited about my kids doing sports is not because, you know, my, I think they're going to be division one athletes or NBA players. If they are, I love that. That's great. But I think all the life lessons that you learn through being part of a team. And if you have a coach that is really intentional with the time they have with you, um, you can learn more in that hour than what you might be able to learn in a whole year because of the situations that you get put on a basketball court, the pressure cookers on and you have to learn to play with people from different backgrounds and different life philosophies, different family structures, different beliefs, um, different skills. And you all come to be able to, um, you know, work towards a common goal. And so I, I just think that that's the foundation of all of it. So before I teach a jump shot or, you know, how to teach a, a, a two foot jump stop, I'm making sure that I'm going to teach them the foundation of all leadership. And I've kind of developed the three levels of leadership. I, I really took it after I read a book called the five levels of leadership by John Maxwell. And I just love the organization. The structure of that book I thought was just brilliant. Um, the things I did not like about it, though, is most of my high school athletes, even my college athletes, even after they go through a full year of leadership with me, you can still hear them saying something like, yeah, you know, like I can't wait till I'm on scholarship so I can be a better leader or when I'm a senior, I'll be a better leader or something like that. And it's just so ingrained in people, the idea of that position really makes someone a leader. You know, I'm. The, the leader is a person that's the team captain it might be something that might be ingrained in them. The leader is the starter. The leader is the point guard. And so in that book, John Maxwell talks about position as being a level of leadership. It's the lowest level of leadership, but it is a level. And I wanted to throw that out altogether because I think to me, there's nothing more harmful than people thinking that they have to wait to be influential or make an impact on someone's life. And so, once again, I think three is the most powerful number on the planet. So I thought, well, how many levels of leadership should we have? And I think it's three. And so it's kind of like a, uh, a video game. You can't be a level two leader unless you're a level one leader. And there's no way you could ever be a level three leader if you're not both a level one and level two. And so the foundation of all leadership, level one, is synergy, which is your ability to create relationships, to create energy with other people. And we always say, People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And so if you don't know how to build a connection, if you don't know how to let your teammates know that you care about them, you could be MVP of the league, but you're not a leader. In our program, the only way to be a leader is to be able to create synergy because the way we define leadership in our program is leadership is influence. And I think that's really true for basketball players because basketball players don't have force or power. 
they don't have the ability to say, hey, you're not doing something well. Come take a seat on the bench with me. Coaches have some force or power. They can kick you off the team. They can impact your playing time. But as a player, I don't have any force or any power over teammates. All I have is influence. And so the number one way to have influence with someone is learn how to create synergy. And so in our program here, we, we tell the athletes, here are the three ways that we really create synergy. And if you do that well, then you earn the right to be a level two leader, which was we call sweat or your ability to lead by example through hard work, through blood, sweat, and tears. And a lot of people think that you could be a level two leader without being a level one leader. And we've seen it gone awry. We've seen the player that's working so hard, that's doing all the right stuff, that's leading by example, except for their teammates don't like them. And what happens is instead of following their words, they will actually go against their words. They'll cut off, the, these other players will cut off their nose despite their face because even though this other player is saying the right stuff, he's such or she's such a jerk that they don't even want to be in the gym with them. And so what we find is the only way that your actions really have influence or they have uh, ability to help and change people is if that person is, feels connected to you and, felt, and feels valued by you. So level one, synergy. If you do that well, you're in the right to get to level two, which is sweat. And a lot of people think that lead by example is the highest form of leadership. And I always tell people, leading by example, level two is a really great level of leadership. Um, but it's not the highest form of leadership because the only problem with leading by example is it only works when people are there to watch. And what I found is the people that usually need the most help aren't looking for it. I think about the times when I call everyone together on the team because one person showed up late to practice and I bring everyone in. Hey, come on, guys. We all got to show up on time. Now, the person that's 10 minutes early already is like, okay, coach, yeah. And they show up 15 minutes early the next day. The person that's showing up late is like picking the nose, like I wonder who they're talking about. Right? The people that usually need help aren't looking for the help. And that's why you need a higher form of leadership than just leading by example. You need to serve. So it's synergy, sweat, serve. And I always tell people to serve is to help teammates and tell them what they need to hear with love. And the best level three leader I've ever seen is John Stockton. And it's not even close. And the reason why he is a level three leader is because first and foremost, he's a level one leader. For it's been 18 years, I think now maybe even longer, 18 years, every Sunday, he organizes a group of old guys, current pros, college guys to play Sunday hoops. 18 plus years, he sends us a text. He organizes the gym time because it's different based off of when the tournament schedule is. And I mean, to be able to do that takes so much time and energy. And we know he cares about us. And then he shows up and he's, it's his gym. He opens up the key to the gym for us. And then takes all the side baskets, pushes them away. And then he literally grabs a broom and he sweeps the floor. It's amazing to see the way he takes care of us. And so all of us feel a connection to him. And so right there, he has influence. And then there's no mistaking who the best basketball player is on earth, as far as point guards go, uh, when you step on the court, because he is the hardest worker. He's playing on Sunday like it's the NBA Finals. He's going to dive on the floor. He's going to throw an elbow. He's going to set monster screens. He's going to block you out every time. I mean, he just does everything right. And so he has influence because he has synergy, but he has even more influence because everything he does is the right way. And so we want to follow him because he never takes a playoff. Um, and then the biggest thing is he cares more than anyone in, about Sunday hoops. And he'll make sure that. Um, he holding us all to a high standard and he cares enough to do that. And I, I told the story on my podcast, which was we were playing one. It was uh, like nine o'clock on a Sunday morning. And a lot of us were a little tired. And after about two or three games, the energy levels was a little bit low. And he fires off this warning shot. Come on, let's go pick it up. Let's play a little harder. And for a couple of plays, everyone did. And I was on John's team. And a couple of plays later, a shot goes up and, Instead of blocking my guy out, I just turned around. And right when I turned my head, my guy came, ran past me, grabbed the rebound, and scored it. And before the ball even comes out of the net, he runs and grabs it and drop kicks it across the gym. Damn it! This is important! He's screaming, hooting and hollering. Everyone's <laughs> eyes are just this big. I was, my face was red. I was so embarrassed. And he just laid into us, you know. 
And if anyone else did that, it would be the biggest baby move, the biggest jerk move. Um, but when he did it, it was the biggest servant leadership move. He did it because he cared so much. First off, he had a connection with us. And second off, he's been walking the walk that when he came and called us all out, we all realized that was right. We needed that. You know, like this, this game is so much more important than just a silly way to get a sweat in with our friends. This is about teamwork. It's about being there for people. It's about respecting the game. And not many people would do that. And not many people can do that. And then the people that might have that kind of pull, they're more concerned about what they're doing and not what the group is doing and not how to make something special. And so yeah, I'm just in constant awe of him. Every Sunday, there's a new lesson that I learned from him. Um, and I take my boys down. Uh, Carter's been coming down since he was probably three years old, sitting on the sideline. And then he gets a little older. He's shooting on the side hoops. And he got to play one-on-one -on -one with some of the other kids. And now that he's in high school, he gets to play with me. And to have him be on the same court with John Stockton. And then what's even more important is after the game, we sit on the baseline and take off our shoes. We're all too tired to leave the gym. So we just tell stories. And to have him hear from John Stockton's mouth some of these stories about being a good teammate and being a, a great leader is just is priceless. So, um, yeah, I just I feel like I'm a student every single weekend. Like, I feel like I'm a little grade school kid, you know, like, Tell me another story, John. Um, he's just amazing. That's the ultimate grad school right there. Getting to, get to play hoop with John Stockton. And I, I love that story. I mean, I think that's amazing. Um, and I could probably listen to these stories all day. And um, as, as for kind of nearing our, our end of time, and I really just appreciate all the wisdom that you've dropped. I got a couple pages of notes here um, and just the stories. And obviously there's synergy here because like I like, I teach similar values that, you know, may have different words for them, but all very similar, right? Connection, synergy, commitment, um, sweat, work ethic, service is a big one. So I just, I really love everything that you said. And I know that, you know, for those that are listening and, and want to listen to you some more, and I'm going to, you know, obviously we can, you know, stay connected. Where can people find you, Hoop Commitment, and, you know, listen to the podcast and, and all that good stuff? Oh, well, thank you so much. Yeah, everything is Hoop Commitment. So Hoop Commitment Podcast is on iTunes and Spotify, wherever you listen to your, your podcast. Or you go to hoopcommitment.com. And like I said, it's just a free resource for anyone that's interested in basketball nutrition, training, and leadership. And so as I learn, I get to turn around and pass it along to other people that are interested in this space. And so it's fun to be able to make a new friend and to be able to meet someone who, uh, who's about to have fun. So it'd be fun to be able to keep this connection going. I love it. Thank you so much for your time today, Mike. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Bridging Impact Podcast. We'd love it if you would like, subscribe, leave a comment, and a review on whatever platform you're on. It's the best way to help us grow. We appreciate you for doing that. We'll shout you out on social media. I'd also love if you connected with me on social media. Let me know your thoughts, and this is why I do it. I want to share knowledge and wisdom from experienced leaders to people like yourself and myself so we can have this dialogue and move forward and make an impact on the world. So stay tuned, stay subscribed, Cheers.